Hi, this is Phil Moorhart, Communications Manager at the American Library Association, and this is Call Number with American Libraries. As 2021 draws to a close, it's natural to look back and reflect on the year. Each year has its ups and downs, as they all do. But one thing that remains constant is the incredible caliber of authors that we here at American Libraries talk to year after year. Today, on Call Number with American Libraries, we look back on some of our favorite interviews of 2021, some of which didn't make it into our usual podcast episodes. Conversations with Emmanuel Acho, Isabel Allende, Siggy Marley, Padma Lakshmi, Max Brooks, Savala Nolan, and former dance theater of Harlem dancer and archivist Judy Tyrus and musician Paul Novosel that revealed their love of libraries, books, and much more. After the killing of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police in May 2020, Fox Sports analyst and former NFL linebacker Emmanuel Acho felt compelled to do something. The son of Nigerian immigrants, Acho was receiving questions from white people asking about racism and how to be a better ally in the fight for equality. Acho decided to channel this discourse into a YouTube series called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. It led to a book of the same name and its follow-up, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Boy. Acho spoke with American Libraries ahead of his appearance at the American Library Association's 2021 Midwinter Meeting and Exhibits Virtual, where he spoke about his love of libraries. Man, I've said this before, that when you walk into a library, it's like going to the airport with a passport without a ticket, and you can go wherever you want. It just depends on what ticket you buy and what book you pick up. So like when, when I remember being a kid, I, I grew up in Dallas, I told you, but I'd go to Richardson Public Library and my mom would just drop me off there. And it's just hundreds and thousands of books. And you would just walk around and like, it's just, it, it's like being in a museum and you can just go to so many different places in so many different spaces. Um, and I remember like cool covers like Artemis Fowl. I don't even know if I read the book, but I just remember the cover was super cool to me. It's like a nine-year-old kid. And so the impact is just understanding that like books pass the test of time. Like books that I was reading for mandated summer reading to kill a mockingbird, if you will, like kids are still reading. Since her first novel, The House of the Spirits, was published in 1982, Isabel Allende has written frequently about the interior lives of women. Her latest book, The Soul of a Woman, is a collection of essays that follows the trajectory of her life and evolving approach to feminism. She spoke with American Libraries this year about that work. It tells um, my story, which is a very long story. So young women who read the book will see what happened before them. And uh, people my age will be able to see what's happening now, which I think is important to be open to everything new that is happening. But what is the ultimate goal of feminism, of the movement? To defeat the patriarchy, 
and we are far away from that. We still have a lot of work to do. So um, I, in the book, I try to explain why defeating the patriarchy is so important because the patriarchy is like the air we breathe that we don't notice until we do. And uh, unless you are aware of the many, many forms in which women have been oppressed and women suffer, uh, we, cannot, we cannot continue with the struggle and we don't have very clear what the goal is. When we read something, we realize we're not alone. We, other, there's other women and other people that are thinking as we think, are feeling what we feel. That sort of interconnection that literature, fiction or nonfiction creates is very important. Keeps us informed of what's going on. I belong to the first generation of Latin American writers who grew up reading the great writers of the boom of Latin American literature, which started in the beginning of the 60s and lasted until late 80s. And they were all men. There was not one female voice in that boom, but they were great writers. And I grew up reading them. I wouldn't say I grew up because I, I started reading them in my late teens and in probably early 20s. But they, they were a big influence in the way I saw Latin America. They were a choir of multiple voices, very different, but harmonious in a way, that presented Latin America to the world, but also to us. They gave us a, a, a sort of broad vision of our continent. And I think that's a, that they were a huge influence later for me in my writing. When Grammy award-winning reggae artist Ziggy Marley released Family Time, a children's album in 2009, he didn't plan to do more projects geared towards youth. But when the pandemic hit last year, he found himself at home full-time with his own kids. And what resulted was more Family Time, his 2020 album for children, in the picture books Music Isn't Everything and My Dog Romeo, adapted from the album's songs. Marley spoke to American Libraries ahead of his appearance at the American Library Association's 2021 Midwinter Meeting and Exhibits Virtual about these works. It was, it seemed very fast, like it was like kind of surreal, I would say, like, you know, when I look back at it, um, the pandemic had just happened and everybody was home. And then I started writing these songs because of my four-year-old son. And they just started coming and flowing and, you know, it was... It was a strange time, but it was good times to do, do the children's album, you know, but strange, very strange. Yeah, I was already writing songs for another project. And then this project kind of came in and um, took over, you know, because I'm a four-year-old son. Like he kept on bothering me while I was doing music and he would come in and go, Google Gaga, Google Gaga, <laughs> like, yo. And so I wrote a song called Google Gaga and then it's, that's where everything started for this album. I, I believe that helping children is the best um, way we can help the world, basically, by helping children. And so it's just a natural place for me to do what I do right here. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not something out of the ordinary or different. It feels very natural. When I, what I realized with my kids and who go to school was that 
the parents, we don't really spend a lot of time with our children when we check it out. Now we realize that because we're spending every day with them. Um, and then that, that made me realize that I said, oh, so we don't really spend a lot of time with the children. Um, and so this hopefully can, I mean, this album is a way for in this time to strengthen the bond of family. And that extent extends even outside of your own family, hopefully to the human family, you know, is that everything connected to everything else. So that's the ultimate thing, but I feel that's what it is, you know. Growing up for me, our stories weren't written out or told out of books. It was just told out of somebody's mouth. And we used to tell they used to tell us a lot of ghost stories. We call it Duppy. <laughs> and there's a couple other stories about Anansi, who's a spider. So that's how I really grew up with stories being told to me in that way. The library is more than a place of books. Really. It's a place of, I would say, solace and rest and regeneration. It's like a place you can just go and you can take up a book and read and it, you just escape a little bit out of, you know, what's going on. And then the library is like a refuge, basically. And you can, you can have many adventures and read different types of stories in this refuge. So that's how I feel about it. I used to go and play some chess with my friends in the library and we, you know. So it's like a little, yeah, let's go, let's just go relax and, you know, read a book or play some chess or something. It's a very, it's a very wonderful place, you know. Model, author, and television host and producer Padma Lakshmi is busy. The 18th season of her reality competition show Top Chef concluded this past summer. She released a children's book, Tomatoes for Neela, in her travelogue series, Taste the Nation, returned to Hulu with a collection of holiday episodes recently. American Libraries talked with Lakshmi, fresh off her appearance at the American Library Association's 2021 annual conference virtual about her relationship with libraries. I love libraries and I love librarians. Um, when I was growing up, I would spend a lot of time in the library because it was just a cool place to do my homework after school. You know, not all of my upbringing was peaceful, and the library offered me a really safe, quiet, protected haven, for lack of a better word, to, to explore my academics in just a safe, quiet space. Um, and I always relied on those librarians and all the staff at the library to help me, um, you know, just explore whatever my interests were. Um, and I find that librarians are super duper smart, not only because they're well read, but because they are well read on a variety of topics. So you can go to them as a child and ask them anything. And even if they don't know, they have a book for that. And, you know, here I love rare books or uh, vintage books as well. I'm, you know, I'm a coveter of first editions. Um, somebody uh, just very recently gave me one of the best gifts I've ever had in my life, which is they gifted me an original first edition copy of The Gastronomical Me by MFK Fisher. I don't know where they found it, but I love this book. It was published during wartime in 1943, it says, 
you know, cloth-covered bound book. And I always loved libraries. I was as much my granddaughter, uh, grandfather and grandmother's child as I was my mother's child because I grew up uh, flitting back and forth between being a latchkey kid here in New York where my mother was a single mom who worked full-time as a nurse and then going back home to India in my grandparents' house where I spent every summer of my school-age life. So the week after school got finished, I was on a plane in June to my grandma's house, and I didn't come back until the week before school started in September. So I spent 25% of my time in India, even though I am a child, you know, an American kid, effectively. Um, And my grandmother loved cooking. You know, as I said earlier, she was a very practical woman, and all of her life lessons that she taught me um, came from spending all that time with her in the kitchen because, you know, she had, um, like I said, two burners and ten people to cook for. So there was always cooking going on, and she didn't really get a fridge until her 30s, so she never knew what to do with it except, you know, use it to chill water and make ice. Because we lived in South India. And my grandfather, on the other hand, was an incredibly scholarly man. I've known a lot of pretty brilliant people in my life and fortunate enough to be exposed to them. But till this day, I have not met many people who who were as well-read as my grandfather. He could quote Wordsworth and Shakespeare verbatim by heart. He often read books on everything from physics to ancient history to cricket statistics, which he kept, you know, very diligently because he was a cricket fan. Um, And through my grandfather, I really learned a love of books. And so I am very much a child and a product of their influence and their counsel and their upbringing because I love books and I love food. Those are the two things I love most in the world. And so I'm very privileged to be able to make my living as a professional who publishes and who speaks about food. And it's not an accident to me that I am who I am today. I am their granddaughter. Max Brooks knows a thing or two about monsters. The author of zombie classic World War Z, The Zombie Survival Guide, Minecraft the Island, and De-Evolution, a first-hand account of the Rainier Sasquatch Massacre, Brooks has built a career out of scaring readers with stories that, while fantastic, have firm footings and real-life scenarios. Brooks spoke with American Libraries before his appearance at the American Library Association's 2021 Midwinter Meetings and Exhibits Virtual about the power of libraries. You know, I used to hear this from my friends in high school who were uh, African-American revolutionaries, you know, it's the 80s. And they used to say, knowledge is power. And I, I didn't understand that till I grew up a little bit and realized, oh my God, yes, knowledge is power. It is empowerment. That's why whenever you have an authoritarian regime, the first thing they do, what do they do? They burn the books. It's the first thing they do. And then they, and the, the books they don't burn, they censor. They're afraid of it. Libraries are the arsenal of the mind. They need to be funded. They need to be protected. Because without them, 
we might as well just go back to the Middle Ages and start putting on metal and bathe once every 10 years and just stab each other because we can't think of anything better to do. In 1969, at the height of the civil rights movement, legendary ballet dancer Arthur Mitchell founded Dance Theater of Harlem. It was imagined as a space where dancers of all cultures and colors could train in the fine art of classical ballet. More than 50 years later, former Dance Theater of Harlem dancer and archivist Judy Tyrus and musician Paul Novosel collaborated on Dance Theater of Harlem, a history, a movement, a celebration, an expansive account of the company's first half century through the stormy present. The pair talked with American Libraries ahead of their appearance at the 2021 ALA Annual Conference and Exhibits Virtual. We met up in the archive in 2014. Maybe even a little earlier than that. Yes, I was, a, I was the archivist at Dance Theater of Harlem at the time, and uh, Paul was a pianist. I was actually carrying some, some heavy boxes uh, from the archive space to another archive space, uh, some score boxes. And Paul uh, was, was just finishing up teaching a class. And um, I asked him to help me um, carry these uh, score boxes down to this archive room. And from there, Paul, what happened? <laughs> After class, yeah, I helped her. And then she says, and you know, I've got, you know, a couple scores in the archive I want you to take a look at because I don't know where to file them. And so I went in there and, of course, being a music history buff, when you show scores like that to um, a musician, we go nuts. It's like catnip. And so we started a conversation and we engaged. And that's a big theme in our book is you engage with somebody, no matter, you know, who they are, you engage, you know, you, you take that risk. And one thing led to another, we talked about volunteering. And then from there, our relationship just blossomed. Once we engaged um, in the archive, we just started talking about Dance Theater of Harlem and the impact that the company has had through their work of uh, ballet is for everyone. Um, and really, um, really bringing um, ballet to the community of Harlem and to the world. We realized that the history was so important that what um, Arthur Mitchell and his uh, teacher and mentor Carl Shook had done from the very beginning, how, how very important that work was and that there had never been a history book written about dance theater of Harlem. So that became just a big topic of, oh my gosh, there's this big hole in the history of ballet that hasn't really been um, documented. So um, we started just to read everything that we could find, you know, everything that we, um, that started to put together a chronology to go through the programs. And um, it just became, uh, this this uh, passion, I, I would say, Paul, <laughs> for both of us to really um, get this this story on paper and it just page by page, we just started working on it. And we realized that the archive was so rich um, with photographs through the years, through the 52 years of the organization's work, that it would be a beautiful, beautiful book.
As a mixed-race woman who has experienced elite schools and generational poverty, Savala Nolan has long felt that she occupies in-between spaces in society. The lawyer, speaker, and writer explores this territory in her debut collection, Don't Let It Get You Down, essays on race, gender, and the body, touching on topics such as dating, motherhood, and police brutality. American Library spoke with Nolan about how libraries contributed to these experiences in her life. I am more thankful than I can ever say to, to libraries and librarians and archivists and, you know, let me just say everyone who works at libraries and keeps them running, right? Because there are people besides librarians who are involved, you know, um, janitorial staff and I mean fundraisers, like there's a whole ecosystem of people I would imagine who are, who are involved in keeping libraries open for us. Um, and I feel incredibly indebted to them. And I think that the role that they played for me in exploring identity was massive. I mean, for one thing, when you're looking at family history, um, you know, there's like lore, there's family lore and like stories that are passed down and, and some things we know, but if you wanna authenticate that or you wanna go deeper than kind of what grandma remembers, you know, or you want to, um, as I encourage people to do, get into like a really nitty gritty topic, like how your family um, perhaps benefited from or was impacted by chattel slavery, then you need someone who can help you locate the relevant material, who can help you ask the right questions, um, who can help you physically get your hands on the material, you know, like the, the, the property records that, that I looked at while in the library at UC Berkeley came from the Library of Virginia and someone had to like pack that up and put the address on it and, you know, send it in the mail, like at every turn, libraries were incredibly helpful and the people who work there were incredibly helpful. Um, I think the space of the library is like, I don't know, this is probably old news to you, Tara, but like, like an unsung hero. Like it's very rare that we have physical space that anyone can access and that is calm and um, rich with resources. Like I, I just don't know, you know, maybe public parks are like the only other kind of thing that feels like quite the same way. Um, that's free, that it just, the physical space of the library was also really important to me. And to me, there's something kind of hallowed and sacred about the space and it created an energy or an atmosphere that let me concentrate on the material in a way that like sitting on my couch with my dog and my kid and my laptop and the TV on like would not have facilitated. Um, I also think, you know, if you've got a question about who you are, either there's a book that will help you figure it out or you should write the book that will help you figure it out. And um, libraries come into play in either case. So yeah, I mean, I, I can't thank librarians enough. And um, I hope to travel to Virginia, partly to just actually visit the physical land that my family owned and um, pay some tribute to the people that, that we trafficked and held in bondage there. Um, and also to visit the Library of Virginia and, and give a shout out or a hug if we're allowed to do that. 
um, to those people who, who helped me create this essay and learn so much about myself and my family. That wraps another episode of Call Number with American Libraries. And that also wraps up my tenure as your faithful podcast host. It's been an absolute pleasure joining each and every one of you each month to share stories from the library world these past six years. But the show will go on. Be sure to stay tuned for a new Call Number host and a new season in the new year. I know I'll be listening. Do you have something to say to us here at the podcast? Well, we want to hear from you. New to Call Number, you can reach out to us directly and tell us your thoughts and opinions about our shows and more with your own voice. Call 312-857-6761 and leave us a message that will be featured, perhaps, in a future episode. That's 312-857-6761. We hope to hear from each and every one of you. As always, and for the last time, I'm Phil Moorhart, and this is Call Number with American Libraries. (music) 